Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to Growth Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Joan Driggs. Today, I'm joined by Nathan Shipley, Executive Director, U.S. Automotive here at Circana, to talk about changing mobility, spending, and the impact on the industries that we track. So welcome, Nathan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Nathan, you monitor and advise the auto aftermarket, but to really understand your market, like you, you have told me so many great stories about transportation and mobility patterns like throughout and and now I can we say post-pandemic. So tell us about some of the observations that you're making about mobility and transportation. Sure, it's a big topic. And my focus at Circana is specifically the automotive aftermarket. Uh, and it really when you pull that back a little bit, it's about how and why consumers are driving. Um, but the pandemic put a focus on mobility in general. And so while our focus traditionally has been driving, we started looking more broadly, and we've always looked more broadly, but it really came into focus around how and why consumers are, are maintaining their cars, but why, why they're going places that they're going and when. Um, and so we'll get into this as we get into the podcast. Uh, but one of the biggest themes throughout the pandemic for us was something as simple as the amount of miles that consumers drive in a given week. A large swath of the U.S. started working from home. So there was this assumption that driving was going to decline significantly because of the shift to work from home, driving, uh, uh, mass transit utilization, et cetera. And pretty quickly into the pandemic, we started observing that that wasn't really the case. Yes, miles driven as a metric that we use for measuring mobility on the roads was down, but it was not down to the extent that we thought it would be. And so we started digging in deeper and we started realizing that there was a, a kind of a big shift in when people were driving, where they were headed, um, and, and the whys behind it. And as we get into this conversation, we'll start talking about how hybrid work has untethered consumers from offices, and it has allowed them to travel differently uh, and for different reasons. Well, let's, let's jump into that. So what I'm hearing you say right now is people were still driving, but maybe at different times of day, maybe different distances. It wasn't that commute to work that we, that we had pre-pandemic. That's right. And, you know, hybrid work is just that. There's uh, some of us that are out back in the office five days a week. Some of us are working part time from home or full time from home. But when you average it all out, um, there's folks that are driving to offices. But what it's also done is it's shifted where driving is taking place and when and why. So in the work from home example, if I used to drive five days a week into town, uh, to my office. I'm not doing that anymore. And instead, I have more time around my own home to drive to the grocery store, to other shops, maybe meet friends for lunch, et cetera. So from a driving standpoint, it has pushed those the, the mobility out to the areas where people live instead of where they work. Implications more broadly, it's some of that that has pulled that has pulled consumers out of certain markets where they were five days a week. And now their spending has shifted 
maybe closer to their home. And we see that in the, in the driving behavior as well. The other side of this is, and I'll go down this path, is what hybrid work has done to our ability to take longer weekend trips. And I'll, I'll talk to something we heard uh, United Airlines CEO state uh, in an earnings call late last year was their observations of uh, air travel and what they were thinking was pent up demand with all these weird uh, travel patterns that they were seeing. And they finally realized after digging in and doing some research on why people were traveling and when they were, is that hybrid work has allowed people to take long weekends and never, you know, using air quotes, take off from work. Um, and the example that uh, that he stated was, you know, you're working from home five days a week. If you had to be in an office Monday through Friday, nine to five prior to the pandemic, and now you're working from home, Thursday afternoon, you can uh, work from home until five o'clock, hop in the car and drive to the airport and fly wherever it is you're going for the weekend, wake up the next morning on Friday, work from the hotel uh, all day Friday. And then you were that Saturday, Friday afternoon, you are there to enjoy whatever spot it is you decided to go to that weekend, Friday evening, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, maybe even Monday morning, work from there, fly home Monday night, and you're back uh, in your home office Tuesday. You had a nice four-ish day weekend uh, in whatever location you were going to, but you never actually took a day off from work. You continued to fulfill your obligations in that regard. That type of leisure travel was not possible in an environment where you were required to be in an office five days a week, nine to five. So things like that have changed who is traveling, why they're traveling and when. So for us as an industry, this same type of thing is happening with driving. We know consumers are, you know, they're not driving as much to work, but they're taking more road trips. So it kind of balances out. Um, but, it, you know, if you're in the convenience store industry or you're in the uh, packaged foods and you're thinking about selling products to consumers, knowing that there's different people coming through sea stores or different people going through airports or different people traveling now for long weekends than were before the pandemic makes you start thinking about products on the shelf, who's coming into the stores, uh, what types of products they're looking for, what they're willing to spend, et cetera. It has far reaching implications. That is fascinating. And I have so much to like layer on and I'll start like even anecdotally, I see that travel pattern that taking advantage of, um, you know, long weekends away, particularly among younger people. And that's just my observation that they're not as married to, you know, kind of like the nine to five life that some of us, I'll just say me as an older worker or more experienced worker, I'll borrow a term from Marshall. Um, so, but, but interestingly enough, you know, in the consumer goods industry, we're really focused so much on how the work from home has changed our consumption behaviors. And now with this, this return to mobility in a new way, I feel like, oh, this really makes it so complicated for people in the consumer goods industry because now you're, you're catering to the convenience and the needs of those who are working from home with meals and things like that. But at the same time, now we see a return or the demand, increasing demand for more of those on-the-go, um, single-serve products to accommodate those, those people traveling by car or even by, by air. Um, so, wow, truly complicating an already complex situation. Indeed, uh, but in a good way. 
Yeah, and through the uh, the lens of what I, you know, my, my quote day job here is at Circana, which is to focus on what's happening specifically with the automotive aftermarket. Um, as I said early on, look, if, if all of a sudden we're going into a lockdown um, and no one's going anywhere, you would think that the bottom would fall out of this industry that I specifically focus on. But that did not happen. Um, and, and early on, the story was, it was around hobbies and consumers that had free time on their hands. And so they were able to maybe detail their car they hadn't, or maybe change their own oil for the first time or pull out an old antique that they hadn't had a chance to work on in many years, but now they had a time, the time to do it. That was part of the story for a long time. Then the story started to shift to, well, wow, we're trying to socially distance, but we're all you know, going crazy in our, our own homes looking for ways to get out. Road trips became part of that. It's like, well, let's hop in the car and we can go somewhere and maybe we won't go to a hotel, but we'll rent uh, an Airbnb as an example. That's, you know, it's again, using air quotes, but that is something that's safer in terms of not being exposed to uh, a lot of people. And so you looked at, you know, looking back over the last few years, some of the experiential spend that we know was heavily suppressed, certain pockets, um, like in the, like the hospitality industry, there were some areas that were doing okay. And I think this was part of that was because of the mobility story that we're talking to. Another part that I haven't touched on, but what we watched take place was purchases of recreational equipment, whether that be uh, a, an RV, uh, a travel trailer, a boat, a jet ski, an ATV, a dirt bike, anything that would be considered consider recreational in nature. Those industries had literal record setting years the last few years as there was more discretionary spending power out there with various rounds of stimulus, less spending on experiences, et cetera. Consumers looking for new ways to get out and do things. Let's go buy an RV or buy a travel trailer and go camping. Um, there was a point in the middle of all this where we were looking at uh, the, the traffic, the foot traffic patterns in national parks. And national parks were imploring Congress, please help us because we are literally being overrun. We don't know what to do with all these people that are showing up every day out of nowhere. And again, that was a COVID safe way of getting out of the home. And so pulling it back to the specifics of what, you know, of, of this point is that there was a tremendous investment amongst consumers in this recreational equipment that these are long-term investments. Those consumers are still using uh, all of that equipment today. So it goes back to that road trip story, and maybe it's a short road trip to a lake for the weekend, or it's a longer road trip you know, for spring break with a with an RV. All of those things have, again, helped the consumer change, and I would call it fundamentally change what the recreational patterns look like. And it ties back to mobility in the automotive aftermarket in terms of maintaining and driving, or maintaining the equipment and driving it, but it also reaches far into everything else that we think about here at Circana, food, apparel, cosmetics, all the things that we think about with consumers, why they're doing what they're doing, where they're spending, and the whys behind it. You and I are talking in late spring. The news is that the airlines have really ramped up hiring across the board in anticipation of another very busy summer. Um, what are you seeing in terms of things like or anticipating maybe in terms of things like road trips or air travel. And again, is that 
based on the, the purchases that have already happened with a lot of that recreational equipment? Is it just, again, more pent-up demand? Tell us what you anticipate. Yeah, so one thing that comes to mind when it when summer travel comes up, historically, uh, a simple metric like gasoline prices, that was something that we forever have looked at and said, wow, okay, gasoline prices this year are significantly higher. And I'm, I'm making this up significantly higher. And so we would say, hey, this is something we, we would expect summer travel to be suppressed because gasoline prices, food prices, you know, rent, housing, the basics of a household budget. Gasoline prices are a big one for a lot of consumers. And when gasoline prices are high, we see travel suppressed. What we observed over the last couple of years, you might recall last summer, gasoline prices shot through the roof. That did not at least through the data that we look at, that did not affect driving like it has in the past. And, and we, I believe that is because of this fundamental shift in mobility and the whys behind people are on the road. It's a different consumer de uh, demographic that we're talking about, taking road trips, um, maybe hopping on an airplane and flying their family somewhere for, for a week. Uh, but we can get into the demographic story. But expectation is that it should be a fairly robust summer of travel, whether that is via air or or the road. What I will say about air travel, just 12 months ago, well, maybe it's 24 months ago now, My th this pandemic, it's hard to believe we're what's over three years into this, even though the pandemic is technically behind us, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but the airlines all of a sudden got hit uh, I should say caught off guard. And you might recall there was a summer where air travel demand was was very robust, but the airlines hadn't brought enough crews back online. They hadn't brought enough um, ground staff online. They hadn't brought aircraft out of storage and put them back into service. And so there was a lot of issues at airports with, you know, we don't have crews to offload bags on airplanes or there are flight delays, flight cancellations. This was big headlines. You had the we had a debacle with Southwest Airlines uh, in December where they had an operational uh, issue with weather and it ended up shutting down part of their network and it was an operational disaster. And all of those things have pushed consumers to driving in some regards. It's like, ah, well, prices are expensive. Uh, I'm worried about losing my bag. And, and the airlines, that has calmed down a lot. They have caught up to your point. Um, but for a while, there was some challenges. And that, again, was another story that we were talking about that was pushing consumers to choose to drive uh, in place of um, maybe hopping on an airplane. Right. So all that to answer your question, expectation is that travel this summer will be as robust as, as it's been uh, as it was last summer. Uh, the consumers like getting out. They like uh, seeing the sights, so to speak. And we're expecting a robust travel uh, season this summer. So let's shift back to some of that auto aftermarket because we've been through a period of exceptional inflation. Um, and as you mentioned at the very outset of this podcast, that people really had been investing in their cars, you know, beyond the hobby, but just how about maintaining their cars or choosing to maintain their cars rather than buying a new one, maybe because there weren't new ones to buy. Um, how is that looking now? And again, what's the outlook? I mean, are people still investing in their cars or are they making the leap to purchasing a new car? 
Fantastic question and one we haven't really touched on at all. So as far as car ownership goes, yes, you had two big headlines. One, inventory challenges on the new car side. Um, you saw for years, empty dealership lots. They just did not have inventory. Uh, and here recently, that has improved dramatically. It's not back to where it was, but it's improved dramatically. So you have that story. And then you have, you know, the, the effect of it is... The used car pricing story where used car prices um increased measurably and so through all of that through thinking about the automotive aftermarket and what we track um we saw consumers say all right i'm, I'm not going to go after buying a new car because they don't have the one that i want and i'm not going to pay uh these inflated prices on used cars and so this older car that maybe I had intended on selling uh, this year, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to reinvest in this vehicle. And we saw that happening. We saw consumers tackling pent up um, or delayed or deferred maintenance. You know, the, it's the type of maintenance like, you know what, I'm planning on selling this car anyways. I'm just going to push these tires and brakes and some of those types of things a little further and just trade it in as it is. That changed. Well, I'm not going to buy a, another car now. I'm going to hang on to this one. So instead, I'm going to invest money in this car to send it down the road and just and keep driving it. Right. So that has been something that, as a headline goes, we've been talking about the average age of cars on the road trending older because of all the things I just talked to. You know, average age of a car on the road in the US is about 12 and a half years old. That's an average. Right. So a lot of us in you know corporate America think, oh, it's, you know, especially if you live in big cities, you see a lot of newer cars, a lot of higher end cars. The reality of it is that it's the average of age is, is 12 and a half here in the US. So, you know, there was this tremendous investment in, in maintenance, et cetera. What's happening now? Used car prices have pulled back some. They're not back, relatively speaking, to where anywhere close to where they were prior to the pandemic. New car inventory has improved, and you're at, you're starting actually starting to see rebates and incentives offered, et cetera. You know, but then we we get into this whole conversation around where interest rates are at. Majority of new cars that are sold are financed in one way or another, and so interest rates are much higher. Um, economic uncertainty. You know, we're not going to go into the numbers of what's happening with economic uncertainty, but consumer confidence. All of these things play into the decision to invest in an asset like a new vehicle. Um, and the numbers that we see, consumers are saying, ah, I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines in this regard. I'm just going to keep driving the older car. I'm, I'm making general statements, you know, new car sales. There are new cars being sold as we speak, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, general statements are, you know, purchases like that, especially in an economic time like we're currently in. Um, it's, it's more defer and maintain the existing than it is the other way. I want to touch on that a little bit because I've heard a couple different versions of buying a car experience, and I'm wondering what impact this might have on the aftermarket. And that is people who are buying a new car are finding that in many instances, they can't get the level of customization that they did from the last time they purchased a car. And that could be something like, you know, cool rims or different lighting or even just the combination of like, um, you know, accessories where other people are saying, oh, it's totally fine. Like I just go and the cars are, cars nowadays are, are more loaded than they used to be. So things are, are great. In your experience, and again, keeping in mind that these are higher price, you know, the cars cost more because of inflation. 
what are you seeing? Are people going with lower versions or stripped down versions of cars or whatever's available? And then maybe investing down the line in some of those accessories that kind of customize the car for themselves. Tell us what you're seeing or what the impact might be on the aftermarket. There's a variety of impacts uh, on, on the aftermarket. You know, first and foremost, you know, the automotive aftermarket that we look at is what takes place to a, to a vehicle outside of going back to a dealership. So you take you, you do your own oil changes or you take your vehicle to a local quick lube uh, and have work done there. That's what we consider to be the aftermarket. Maybe a repair at a local repair shop down the road. So that's the aftermarket. And then the OE is, you know, is buying the vehicle from a dealer, taking the vehicle back to the dealership for work and maintenance. Um, you know, so a couple of thoughts. One is as new car sales start to pick back up, new cars have new car warranties. A lot of them come with um, a maintenance program. Free oil changes, as an example, for the first couple of years of the car's life, et cetera. So New cars, you know, they're not breaking down like older cars, at least they're not supposed to be, right? And so that actually, new car sales is a metric that the aftermarket looks at. And as it ramps back up, you know, there becomes this almost, you know, well, it's it's potentially, I don't say detrimental, but it's not a positive thing for the aftermarket because it pulls the average age of cars newer. It pulls more work back to the dealerships, et cetera. To answer your question around availability of cars, it has improved. It was a year ago, if you were shopping for a car, you knew what make and model you wanted, you show up, it's like, well, we have that, um, and sorry if you drive a bright yellow car, but we have that bright yellow one back there in the back corner, um, That that's all we have available. That, that is your choice. And so, okay, fine, I'll buy the bright yellow one. I really wanted a red one, but fine, I'll buy the yellow one. And that's changing. So you're seeing now where, you can go to a dealership and they actually have an inventory sitting on their lots of different colors and different options um, to choose from. There are still to this day um, issues with uh, supply on certain components for vehicles, chips for vehicles. You're not hearing about it as much anymore in the media, but it is still very much a thing. Um, some car companies are selling vehicles with the physical feature installed but the actual functionality isn't there. And they're like, hey, just come back uh, six months from now, we'll put a chip in for it to work. Um, and so maybe wow. it's, you know, maybe it's whatever, it's the, the backup sensors for your vehicle. They're there, the sensors themselves are there, but they don't actually function, right? That's an example. And it's it's the way that these car companies got creative and said, look, we, we need to keep producing vehicles. We can't shut our lines down because of certain components not being available. We'll produce them and we'll deal with it later. So. That is you know, one way to think about what's happening with new cars is availability, yes. Um, selection, yes, but maybe not every single component. Uh, now, the other side to that is at, even outside of the pandemic and car availability, there is a captive moment, if you will, with any major purchase that a consumer makes, whether it's a new home, a new car, et cetera. And there is this general, all right, I'm going to customize this car how I want. And so there is oftentimes an additional expense. Sometimes it is with the dealership because there is the you know offer to, well, if you're financing the vehicle and you want to add $1,500 in accessories to this car, we can just roll it right in with your financing. That is very attractive for a cash-strapped consumer, which a lot of consumers that buy cars are cash-strapped. That's another whole other conversation. 
But same thing with a home, whatever it is, I can roll it in. But they can also go to the aftermarket and they say, look, I want to add running boards to this. I want to add uh, all weather floor mats, maybe some custom tires and wheels, whatever it is. There is an opportunity, a, a captive opportunity right then and there to do it. They're spending money on the new or even the used car for that matter. They want to make it their own. Six months later, it's not quite as exciting, but in the moment, it is definitely an opportunity for the aftermarket. That's interesting. And that blows my mind that cars are being rolled out that aren't fully functional, that, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we'll take care of this later. That just, that's You know, crazy. and what I will say about that is a lot of the function, you know, from a, a basic function, the car, these vehicles are 100% functional, where these, as you mentioned earlier, cars, the technology in vehicles these vehicles are so high tech and the extent to which simple features require a little computer chip to, to function. Um, it's, I don't have the numbers, but you know, the number of chips on a single vehicle, it's, it's a surprising number. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but all that to say, a lot of these features that aren't functioning out of the gate are, I don't want to call them nice to haves, but in a way they are right. These are functions that didn't even exist 20 years ago. Uh, and some of them are creature comforts. Some of them are maybe safety features, like I mentioned, the backup sensors. Um, but, you know, I, I have to imagine, well, I, and I'm, I'll speak for a sample size of one. I bought a vehicle almost a year ago, and I still haven't received a letter from the manufacturer saying we've got your chips in for all these features. And I'm a year into driving this thing. I'm kind of like, well, if I've gone a year without it, do I even really need it? I mean, it's, you know, so it's, that's, that's antidotal. It's a, that's a sample size of one. Um, I know, but maybe it'll feel like a brand new car when you finally get those chips. I suppose, you know, it's, it's a trip to the dealership to get it done. Um, and that's, they, they and they, you know, I, I'm jobs, I'll talk in jest a little bit. They, they love to have you come back, you know, because maybe while you're there, you'll fall in love with another one and just buy that one instead. Maybe um, a yellow one, maybe suddenly yellow maybe becomes the yellow a color. One. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the yellow one will be discounted <laughs> a little bit now that there's other choices on the, there's somebody listening to this right now that drives a yellow car and they're. Hey, no offense, no offense, no offense. No offense. Um, so I want to kind of wrap this up and bring this back to um, more my area of comfort. And that would be, you know, retail and consumer goods, because you've identified a lot of sticky behaviors in terms of what people have purchased, how they're, how they're traveling. And I want to know what the impact is, in your opinion, you know, in the long term for Things like retail, and you mentioned convenience stores, but it could be any kind of um, retail or what people are purchasing. How do you think what you observe is impacting that area of the industry? It's a fascinating question, and it's it's a very big picture um, topic, if you will. Uh, the the vehicle is an extension of most people's of, of the home. Right. You, a lot of us live in our car, whether it's going to work or taking kids to sports or taking road trips or whatever, we spend a lot of time in the vehicle. Uh, but these mobility pattern changes, and, and you know, I don't even know that we talked about things like um, public transit utilization still being off, you know, meaning like subways and all that. Vehicle utilization has changed. Where and when people are driving has changed. The road trip concept is very alive and well. If I'm a retailer, there's a lot of implications to this. One is, is site selection work. Um, if I go into a market and I had planned to put a new store, you know, let's say, what I'm, I'm 
showing a map, you know, in one spot. But I, I dig in and I realize, wow, there's not as many people Monday through Friday in that spot as there were in the past. And maybe those people are out here in the suburbs now, maybe the better locations in the suburbs because Monday through Friday, there's more people there. You know, that, that's an example. So where people physically are during the day, where they're driving, if they're not driving up and down the interstate, but instead they're driving in their local communities Monday through Friday. You know, I mentioned to you, Joan, a couple of days ago, as we were preparing for this, that, you know, there's some insights out there that say, look, you know, Thursday afternoons are a, a really a peak driving as people hop in their cars and they're driving around prepping for the weekend. You know, it used to be Monday morning. right? So those, those have changed. In my locations, when I'm promoting, what I'm promoting, because the, the makeup of who's in the store has changed. On the road trip story, understanding who's coming through uh, convenience stores. If, you, if you're a convenience store chain uh, or a food supplier or manufacturer, understanding those traffic patterns, you know, you might look and say, wow, the traffic hasn't really changed in you know, X location. It's still what it was prior to the pandemic. What if you dug into that and you realize that a certain demographic uh, has declined in traffic, but another demographic has increased because they're on road trips and they're passing by your stores? Right. So understanding that and realizing maybe maybe our mix on the shelf could be different to cater to a different customer that's coming through. And I think that's one of the coolest things that we do in the world in which we work at Circana is, you know, you can look at top line stories and big picture themes and take it at face value for what it is. But it's the story within the story. You know, a lot of what we talked about today is all the underpinnings of what's going on with mobility. And at a top line, it's like, okay, miles driven, it's kind of where it was, it's fine. But there's a lot of reasons as to why it is. There's you know, some travel that is that's declined or gone away, but other travel that is picked up and is new and it nets to a, a, a net zero. Um, and all of these things have far reaching implications for our clients across the board. Um, and it's a fascinating topic. And it, it is, we're to a point now where, like I said about the airlines late last year saying, hey, all right, we're declaring this as a permanent structural change in leisure travel. I, from an automotive aftermarket standpoint, we're there as well. There has been a shift uh, in where people go Monday through Friday, even on the weekends, why, et cetera, when we think about how they're driving. I think it's so interesting. And it is what I love about my job is seeing how all these things that might not feel connected on the surface truly are interconnected. And I so value your insights because it's 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 rich. Um, one fun question before I, I wrap it up. You bought a vehicle a year ago. What did you buy? So I live in Texas and I bought a GMC uh, truck, a GMC Sierra. I've always driven a truck most of my life. Uh, had an older one that was giving me problems. And, you know, this is, you know, every, you hear people, it's like, you know, from a pricing standpoint, wow, as you overpay. And there is very much this, at the time, it was like, you can actually pay MSRP, which is the sticker price on the vehicle. Like, there's no going in and negotiating anymore. Um, it was the same thing. Nothing on the lot to look at. I had to, on a, you know, on a, basically had to order it. It showed up. They're like, it's going to show up when it shows up. Might be tomorrow. Might be four months from now. And it was three months later. And at the time it was, all right, if I can get this thing at MSRP, that's doing good. Where I made up was selling the vehicle that I had driven for the last 15 years because price for that was inflated. So I, in my mind, I justified like, all right, they're not coming off on the new one, but I'm going to get more on the old. And so net, net, it's probably where I would have been. This is at least how I justified it in my own head. <laughs> uh, 
I, but, I think that's good reasoning. It's good. It was, reasoning. And it, for me personally, it was time. It was uh, it. My other vehicle started giving me issues, and it was just time, family situation, all of that. It was just it was time to do it. So, did you get the color you wanted? I did. I was Barbara? able to man. But I tell you, the dealers at the time, especially, they were in the driver's seat. It was very much. Yes, we know you're a customer. Yes, we know you're a buyer. Um, but it's okay if you don't buy it because we've got a line of people waiting right behind you for that. For that, it was the most fascinating. It was frustrating, and I know a lot of people that have listened to this have probably dealt with this. It was frustrating, but in the end, it, it worked out, and here we are. I'm glad for you. Thank so, you. So, Nathan, I want to just recap just a couple of things that that you mentioned to us, and that is that we have experienced a big shift in when people are driving and where they're going. Um, and that's going to stick. Throughout the pandemic, you saw a huge influx of purchases around large recreational purchases like snowmobiles and jet skis and boats and RVs. And that's also sticky. And that's going to really impact a lot of travel um, and why people are traveling in the years to come, because people are going to want to get use out of those. Um, that, you know, of course, we can we can anticipate a lot of travel this summer. And even if the airline traffic, it rebounds nicely. And by that, I mean that the airlines are able to respond. There's still a lot of people who choose to drive rather than fly. And that might have been caused by the airlines, but again, sticky. I still think there's pent up demand for both. Um, so we'll see about that. I was kind of interested. The average age of a car is now 12.5 years. That seems long. Um, I'm definitely in that boat here in my household, but I thought we were kind of the outliers. So now I know we're not. Um, but I, I do love how you talked about the implications of how vehicle utiliz utilization has changed and what that means for everything from where stores are, what's on the shelves. Um, you know, it's it's imperative to learn who the, who the traffic is, maybe at, at C stores or wherever. Where are they going? What time of day? What time of week? And what are they looking for? It's all a lot of changes. And it's, I guess, in my world, that also means a lot of opportunity. So Nathan, thanks for your time. And I'll look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun talking with you as well. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zircona Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.